13, we'll begin reading at verse 30. While we've been in Acts, we've seen how the first general church council met in Jerusalem to debate and settle an issue that had come before what had just begin, begun to be called Christianity. It was at Antioch, the city of Antioch, where the believers were first being called Christians. Before then, they were just referred to as a new sect of Judaism. And this question was, as the gospel had left Jerusalem and Israel and was spreading throughout the world to all of the Gentiles, to all the Greeks, to all of the Romans, there was this question, should we let those outside of Israel, outside of the Jewish race, believe in their Messiah without requiring the ceremonial laws of Moses, particularly circumcision. They came to an agreement, and we will read a little bit about that in our text. We talked about it last week. But they put it in an official document, an official letter to the church at Antioch, which was also shared throughout all of the known world at that time. Those who had been, those churches and fellowships that had begun. Verse 30 of Acts chapter 15, uh, Paul and Barnabas, Judas and Silas, representatives from Jerusalem, went back to Antioch to share this letter. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought that best, thought best not to take with him one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with, with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the prophets to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you have given us your word. May we glean from these verses, lessons that might help us be faithful to you. May we see as we examine the wisdom here how we are to follow our Lord Jesus. We pray for your blessing and your guidance, Lord. Amen. The last 30 years there's been a new buzzword that's kind of come up and you've heard it used quite a bit. Uh, Perhaps you've even used it yourself. We all understand what it means. And this term is skill sets. 
Each one of us has abilities, giftedness to perform certain sets. Some of them are acquired, some of them are inborn. Skill sets. For example, some find it easy to learn and perform music. That's an inborn ability, that's a giftedness. It's part of a skill set. Other people are gifted in mathematics. Most of us struggle with it. There are some people who are gifted with an ability to work well under stress, and that can be an acquired ability too. For example, I remember I stressed my bride out when we were first married. She has always been the kind of person who does, he, she, she does everything she can to avoid stress. She gets everything done right away, ahead of time, before it's due. She was that way through school. She was that way through university. She did that, she was that, she is that way around the house. Get it done as soon as possible so that when it's needed, it's ready. I, on the other hand, I'm cool. I have time. Now, it's a bad habit when you're in school. But it can be adjusted, it can be strengthened, it can be helped in the workplace. Personal story, and we'll get back to the message. My father was a printer. I grew up setting type. I remember setting type at the age of 11, after school, in the afternoons, working in a print shop. That's it. It'll help you with your spelling. Well, it did. It also taught me how to read things upside down and backwards. But as I grew up in this business, it was a family business, so I began to I started running printing presses. And then I began to learn that when you want to keep things moving, you want to keep presses running because when they're sitting still, you're losing money. You're having to pay for them on the floor and they're not making you money, so you have to keep them going. So when someone comes through the door and they have a rush job, in fact, every job that came through the door was a rush job, there is added stress to meet the deadline that's been imposed but you accept it because you need the money, right? That's how I grew up through my teen years and early adult years. It wasn't by my choice, it was by necessity. Everything got done by the last minute. So when my wife and I got married, I'm cool, I can wait till the last minute. That's what I do all the time. And once she understood that, she was able to accept my way of life. She understood why. I don't always do that anymore. I've learned from her, and she's learned a little bit from me. So we're kind of meeting in the middle, as it were. Some work well under stress. Others work ahead to avoid stress. Skill sets are very often accompanied with a temperament, a kind of a complementary attitude or an attitude that helps their skills or abilities.
Have you ever known someone who had to be in control of everything around them? They're natural-born leaders, but sometimes they're a little difficult to get along with. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not so good. Sometimes a person in control demands and expects a great deal from those he or she works with. They demand loyalty. They demand diligence. They demand determination. Have you ever, ever known someone who was laid back? They're usually very hospitable. They're caring. They're encouraging. They're very patient with you. When we look at what this example of Paul and Barnabas, we're seeing something, a, a division, an argument, a sharp disagreement. Because here were two men following the Lord, being faithful to Jesus, with two different skill sets. And as we look at them, we ask, ask, have to ask ourselves, shall we be diligent or shall we be gracious? Which skill set should we strive for in our Christian walk? As you remember, Paul and Barnabas, along with two other men from the church in Jerusalem, Judas and Silas, went off down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter, and when they had read it, they were rejoiced because of its encouragement, and Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time there, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had been sent. Judas and Silas, please note, were were. It says prophets. They weren't apostles, but they were preachers. They were authorized to teach and preach the word of God. So they were sharing some words and then some wisdom and some counsel and some teaching with the church in Antioch. And that church was encouraged and strengthened by their many words. I don't know which translation you're reading this morning. If you look closely, if you squint and look in your ESV and even your NIV, you will see that 34 and 35 are right next to each other. The NIV and the ESV drop a verse out of Scripture. In the New King James and the New American Standard and the King James, it says that, but Silas thought it best to remain. I'm not going to try and get anything out of why was it dropped from here from, for these two translations, ESV and NIV, but we find out later that perhaps Silas did remain because Silas was the one who went with Paul on his missionary journey after, they, after Paul and Barnabas split up. Did Judas and Silas both return to Jerusalem? Probably not. If it were like today, whenever we send off a missionary, we will have have some kind of a fellowship mission, uh, fellowship meal with them, and and embrace them and love them and pray for them. And the next morning they go. Perhaps they did something like that there. They were real big on fellowship and feasting together, and teaching together, and perhaps the next morning Silas getting ready, packing their mules or their carts, said, 
I think it best that I stay. We find out why, because Silas was the one who went with Paul. We can see by example that Judas and Silas were both faithful. They were diligent and gracious. One of them was sent back to Jerusalem. In verse 35, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. And after some days, Paul and Barnabas, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. You may remember in our study of Acts in the chapter 13, when Paul and Barnabas set sail for Pamphos from Cyprus, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. They had landed in the southern part of Turkey. And John, Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. The Bible does not give us any idea why John left. We know that he was a young man. There's been a lot of speculation. Perhaps he got weary of the journey. Perhaps he just longed to go home. But it bothered Paul. And when Barnabas wanted to take him again, give him a second chance, verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement. So they separated from each other. Paul and Barnabas had been on that first missionary journey. They had preached together. They had taught together. They had suffered and endured persecution together. And this caused a split. Why did Paul and Barnabas separate? Brings us to the question, shall we be diligent or shall we be gracious? One man was very diligent, very fervent, very passionate. One man was very gracious and patient and caring. In Philippians 3, Paul gives his personal testimony. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day of people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The Apostle Paul was had a testimony that he was devoted to the way. No one would accuse Paul of being lazy or unfaithful. He did not lack diligence. He was passionate about being faithful. He was passionate about being loyal. That was very important to him. He was bold, courageous warrior. Remember, think back to when his name was Saul, before his Damascus Road experience. He was fanatical about the law of Moses. He was zealous. This was his skill set. 
that was then considered to be a new sect of a new sect of Jerusalem. Excuse me, a new sect of Judaism, and it was considered to be heresy. Saul was going out pursuing those who were professing the Messiah and putting them in jail. Some of them he would even have sent to death. That's how fanatical he was. And then he met the Lord on the road to, Damas road to Damascus. And everything changed. But yet that same zeal, that same passion, that once used to stop the church, was now expressed to build the church. When you find someone with zealous passion, you also find someone who has little patience for fear or hesitation or doubt. I can understand it. Can't you? Why, why, why did he not want to trust John Mark again? He let them down. He said, I don't have any time for that. Who was John Mark? Well, we know now he was the author of the Gospel of Mark, but who was he then? If you remember Acts chapter 12, when Peter was put in prison in jail for preaching the gospel and were miraculously released by an angel. He made his way through the night to a home of a woman named Mary. This was Mark's home. Mary was his mother. If you also remember, John Mark was also one of the disciples who followed Jesus while he walked this earth. At that time, he was just a teenage boy. He was there when he fed the 5,000. He was there when he healed the lame. He was there watching from a distance the trial and the crucifixion. He was probably at the foot of the cross the day Jesus died. And Paul couldn't understand why he would forsake the way of the missionary journey. This was one who had an advantage over Paul. He got to live and follow Jesus face to face. And yet he turned back. I can understand why Paul didn't want to take him. I can understand why he was impatient with him. Paul was a diligent, no-nonsense kind of a guy. And he probably remembered the teaching of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, Jesus said, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's probably right where Paul was. We've looked at Paul, we've looked at John Mark, but then there is Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, one of the introductory passages about, jo about Barnabas tells us that his given name was Joseph. He was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. 
Artemis was an encouraging guy. The word encouragement comes from the same word that we get words that describe the Holy Spirit, paraclete. Someone who comes along, someone who embraces, someone who walks with, someone who encourages. This was Barnabas. He was the encourager. He was the helper. Acts 11.24 said he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. But still, between Paul and Barnabas, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and Paul and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul took Silas with him and went through Syria. Barnabas wanted to encourage and teach and train John Mark. Shall we be diligent or gracious? A balance is needed. First of all, you need to see that both Paul and Barnabas were continuing to be diligent. They were diligently following the Lord. That is the first place we need to be true about. We need to diligently follow the Lord. Just how do we do it? We're going to be a control freak, or we're going to be kind of laid back and inhospitable. There needs to be a balance. We will see as we continue our study in Acts that Paul was able to grow. In fact, we can find testimony of his growth in other books that he had written. First Corinthians nine. He wrote to the church at Corinth, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So while Paul began his ministry as someone who was more like a drill sergeant, he began to temper that zeal with some grace and patience. And some of us who have a lot of grace and patience need to temper that with some more zeal and boldness and faithfulness in carrying out tasks that are true to the gospel. In fact, in Colossians 10, we see a couple of clues about Paul's relationship to both Paul and Barnabas' relationship. It gives us an idea of what was so special about the relationship between Barnabas and Mark and how Paul, or what Paul, thought of Mark later on in his ministry. Colossians 4.10, he is giving greetings, saying farewell to people he is writing to. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark... Talking about the same John Mark. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So there was a familial relationship. 
concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So we see Paul's heart softening toward Mark once again. Mark's come back into the fold. He's apparently has been given some kind of instruction and counsel and help. He is beginning to work in ministry. And Paul is at peace with it. Shall we be diligent or gracious? The balance is needed. We can seek to be diligent for the Lord always, to be faithful to him. But we need to also be gracious with those around us. There's a popular trend in the church. This is a warning. There's a popular trend in the church. There's a popular trend within the compromising church. To be excessively gracious. There's a teaching now that tries to tell people God would never send anyone to hell. God doesn't send anyone to hell. People's sins condemn them to hell. If they do not repent of their sins, I mean, they're born in sin. They are born condemned already. If they do not repent and turn from their sins, God's not the one sending them. They're the ones deciding, that's where I'm headed. But there is a trend within the church that wants to be so overly gracious that God would never send you to hell. He would never send anyone to hell. Sin is no longer sin. People just make mistakes. Repentance is not necessary. God was the one who made you that way. That's why we have men who want to be women and women who want to be men. That's why we have men and women dressed in the vestments of the church, officiating wedding services in sanctuaries of compromised churches for men who want to marry men and women who want to marry women. Because there are many in the church who stopped being diligent for the Lord and went for nothing but grace, which became nothing but licentiousness because they forsaken the law of God. We need to be balanced with diligence and grace. I read a quote by Lori Alexander this last week, and she makes a very fine point. Jesus served his disciples by washing their feet, but he spent most of his time with them rebuking them, teaching them, admonishing them, exhorting them, and asking them to follow him. And if you remember the night before he died in the garden. He said, pray with me. And when he finished praying, he found them all sleeping. This was the first string. This was his first pick. And they're all... Here was our Lord diligent but gracious, kind of like raising children. You constantly after them, pick up after themselves, behave, don't, fight, don't punch your sister, don't slap your brother, it's just driving you crazy. But then within the home, there are moments when you, allow, when you 
share grace with them, bestow them with love, bestow them with care. That's what the church should be. Within a good, healthy family, you find bonds of love, and that's not just adjectival use. Those are literally spiritual and emotional bonds. Do you understand what it means to be bonded to someone? A husband and wife become emotionally and spiritually bonded to one another. That's why when unfaithfulness comes into a marriage, it is so very painful to the innocent one. Those bonds have been ripped apart, and you feel like there is this great big hole in your heart and your soul. Promiscuous people cannot be bonded to people, other people because they are just so selfish that they, they, they've lost the ability. What is it like to be bonded to the Lord? To be emotionally and spiritually tied to him so much that you wouldn't think of being unfaithful. Did you know that we are supposed to sense those kind of bonds in the fellowship of a congregation? We're family. And yet we have this sense that, oh, no, no, you're not allowed to know that much about me. You're not allowed to be that critical of me. You're not allowed to correct me in that way. But we're family. If we were to experience the grace and love of the Lord Jesus, even as it is expressed among ourselves, between one another, then we also need to understand that there is sometimes discipline necessary. There has to be a balance between diligence and grace. Jesus served his disciples by washing their feet, but he spent most of the time correcting them teaching them, admonishing them, exhorting them, and asking them to follow. Some people have complained, if God is there, why in the world does he continue to let everything, every, so many people suffer? The suffering in this world is because of man's sin. God has ordained from the Garden of Eden that this is the dominion of man. And since man has rebelled, he shall bear the consequences of his sin in the world in which he has been given dominion. So all of the suffering, all of the violence is because of man's sin. Why doesn't God do something when God decides to finally do something once and for all? He still is in control. He has ordained everything in this world to happen to bring about his judgment and also to bring about chastisement and bring people to him. 
Suffering will bring some people to God, and that same suffering will drive others farther away. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why doesn't he come back? I wish he would, but he's waiting. When he comes back again, it's going to be the last time. It's going to be the final divine Joshua coming to take the Holy Land back. The meek shall inherit the earth. That's why he is coming. But now he is waiting. He is waiting that all might come to repentance. We need to be diligent. We also need to be gracious. We need to be faithful to the Lord. But if you're someone who is kind of a control freak, perhaps you need to prayerfully ask God to help you be more gracious, more patient, chill. If you were someone who was laid back, maybe even too much, you need to be more diligent, more faithful, more I hate these senior moments when the word just slips right off of the tip of my brain. More determined in your growth in Christ. More faithful to him. There needs to be a balance. But we need to find it in Christ and in the truth of Scripture. Shall we pray? Lord, we're thankful for your word and its truth and its power, and we ask this day that you might use us for your glory. For those who are strong, those who are devoted, we pray, Lord, that you might enhance their ability to lead and to be faithful with a spiritual grace that is beautiful and tender and patient. To those who are so very gracious that they seem too easy to get along with, we pray, Lord, that you might endow their soul and their spirit with a confidence and boldness to share your word with faithfulness and power so that the sharp edge of the word coming through their life and through their lips might provide a tender relief from the burden of sin to those around them. May it be encouraging and helpful and edifying. Help us to be faithful to you, Lord Jesus, as we serve your kingdom. Amen.